Well, good evening and welcome to our Christmas Eve service. We're so glad to have you here with us. You know, I don't know what it is. Um, I moved to an area and they go through the worst drought that they've ever been through. And I hear that uh, this is the worst cold spell you guys have had in 10 years. Um, we're talking to friends of ours from Hong Kong yesterday via WhatsApp, and, and they were complaining. They were on the soccer pitch, and they were complaining that it, it was a bit cold there. It was in the, I don't know, the, the low 80s or the high 70s. And I'm like, <laughs> our, our friends in Sydney were complaining because it was only in the mid-80s. It's the middle of summer in Sydney right now, and they're complaining. It's like, you have nothing to complain about. Uh, you guys are brave as well. I mean, get coming out on a day like this, I really, really appreciate this. Hey... When was the last time you heard some good news? Because <laughs> if you're like me, you read the newspaper, I read it online, or you read it in print, or you read it, or you see it on the TV, there's not a whole lot of good news out there, is there? But tonight I'm going to share with you some really good news. But as you think about this past year, what was some good news that you received in this past year? Maybe it went something like this. It wasn't cancer. She said, yes, we're going to have a baby. We're going to be grandparents. I don't know what it was. For Beck and I, there were several really good things that happened to us this year. One was, we're grandparents again. We have a brand new, little, uh, brand, new, brand new little granddaughter. We were called here to be your pastor. That was really good news. That was a confirmation of God doing stuff here. Our boxes finally arrived from Hong Kong. They got in port in August, and they finally showed up at our house at the end of October. <laughs> the offer on our house was, on our condo, was, was approved. And all those things, they were good news. As a pastor, I get to share good news, but tonight I get to share really good news. Good news that can have an effect on your life, an eternal effect on your life, if you will allow it. And the good news that we're going to be sharing with, I'm going to be sharing with you tonight starts with an edict, but it really starts with the hand of God, because it starts in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken <coughs> excuse me, of the entire world. Caesar Augustus was the son of, of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was declared a god. Although, although Caesar Augustus didn't like to be called a god, he didn't, he didn't mind being called the son of God. And you think about the irony of this. The son of God issuing a decree that a census should be taken of the whole world. But whose hand is behind it? God's hand is behind it. Because God says in, in Proverbs chapter 21, 1, he says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wants. Because here's the thing, God's son would be born in Bethlehem, not in Nazareth. So how do you get a pregnant mom and, and, a, and a husband who's probably fairly, fairly well comfortable where he's at and not wanting to, how do you get him to come down to Bethlehem? God moved the heart of Caesar Augustus to move the people to where they needed to go. Because God had offered, God had issued a prophecy 700 years before this time. Think about this. God had issued a prophecy through the prophet Micah that said, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you were least among the thousands, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler over all Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. 700 years before this time, God makes an edict that his son would be born in Bethlehem, and nothing is going to stop him from doing that. God has a plan for your life as well, and nothing's going to stand in the way of that as well. And we read, we read in... in um, we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, So everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he was of the house and the line of David. That's a key line. You want to watch that one later. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him because she was ex and was expecting a child. 
Now, here's what's been going on. We've been talking about this for the last month here at Arise, but some of you may not know the whole story behind us. Mary's pregnant, and Joseph's not the father. But God has been at work in their lives, determining, helping them to determine what it is that he wants for their lives. Because many times we have already things planned out for our life. This is what I want for my life. But what does God want for your life? And more importantly, what does God want? Because that's the bigger question. And what did God want? God wanted to send his son into the world. God, because, why? Because God wanted to have a relationship with us because, and because there was an issue with sin that needed to be dealt with. But Mary and Joseph have been asked by God to do some really, really tough stuff, haven't they? For Mary, Mary, would you carry my son? Even though you were a virgin, and even though it's going to mean a great deal of shame and a great deal of hardship for you, will you trust me and will you carry my son? And to Joseph... To Joseph, when he has he, already planned out that he's going to divorce her quietly, he comes to Joseph and he says, Joseph, Mary's a woman of integrity. This is God's doing. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. But Joseph, what I'm asking you to do is this. I'm asking you to take Mary home as your wife. I'm asking you to raise this child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and I'm asking you to give him the name that I choose. Joseph, will you trust me? And both Joseph and Mary do the same thing. They honor God. They honor God above themselves. And that's the question that we all have been asking ourselves in this whole Christmas season. What is it that God wants? Because what it comes down to at the end of the day is this. Will I choose to have my own way or will I choose to honor God and follow what it is that he wants for my life? Obedience isn't easy, but it is the right thing to do, especially when God is in it. And you know, Joseph and Mary, it says in verse 6 and 7, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now I want to stop there because Joseph kind of gets a bad rap. You know, he, he, he's not the Homer Simpson of this day and age, you know. He, he's not this bumbling idiot that we kind of give him this, this bad rap for that. He doesn't plan in advance and they show up in, in Jerusalem or they show up in Bethlehem on the night that, that Mary is going to give birth and they can't find any place to, to have the baby and so they end up having the baby in, in, the, in a stable. Is that really the way that it went? Because that little phrase there, that little phrase there, while they were there, Kenneth Bailey, the scholar and professor who studied in the, in the Middle East, you who are a little bit more geeky may like to read his book. It's called Jesus Through the Eyes of People from the Middle East. Anything that Kenneth Bailey writes, you want to read. He's a very good author. But he's a, was a professor. he was a professor in the Middle East. Study, and, he, uh, and he's taught at schools in Syria, in Lebanon, in Israel, and in Egypt. He speaks Arabic as well as Hebrew and has spent a great deal of time with, Bedouin, uh, with the Bedouins. So he knows his culture, and all month long I've been asking you to do what? To take off your Western way of looking at the Scriptures and look at it through the eyes of the people who first would have read it. So the first people who would have read it, what would they have said when it says there was no room for them in the inn? Because what immediately comes to mind? We think of a, a place to lay your head for the night. Motel 6, a hostel, maybe, a, maybe just a roadside motel, something like that. That's not the right word there. In fact, the word that's being used there, think more guest room. Here's why. This word that's used here is the same word that's used by Luke later on, in the, almost at the very end of the book of Luke, and it means this. It was the word that was used when Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, where is it that you would like us to, have, to make preparations for the Last Supper. And he says, follow this guy. This guy is going to take you to a room, a room that is all prepared for you. Same word. 
Same word, good hermeneutics, good way of reading and studying scripture says that if it means one thing in one place in the part of the book, it means the same in the other part of the book. So what is he talking about here? While they were there. Let me go back to that line of David, the line that I was telling you about. Joseph is from the line of David. And he's going back to where? Back to the city of David. And so when Joseph goes back to the city of David, Herod or your ancestry is a huge deal. And so as he goes back to the city of David, even if he has no friends there at all, all he has to do is begin to recite his lineage and say that I'm from the house of David and the doors would have opened for him. So where do we get this line about, about Joseph and Mary coming into, the, you know, coming into the city, being refused entry into places, and then having to have the baby out in a stable outside of the city? Where does it come from? It comes from a book with a 50-cent name. It's called the Proto-Evangelium of James. It's not scripture. It wasn't meant to be scripture. And yet that's where we get this account from. So what does it mean? What does it mean when they say an inn? For the people reading this for the first time, think of a, think of a one-room home divided into three parts. 500, 600, 700 square feet at the, at the top end. The middle section would have been the biggest section. That was the common living area. Next to that would have been a smaller area, which would have been the guest room. There's no room in the guest room. Why is there no room in the guest room? Because of the census. So here you've got the guest room. Here you've got the common room where they would have been. And down here would have been one, two, three steps down. And this would have been where there would have been a door over here where the animals would have come in. What do you mean the animals in your house? Yeah, the animals would have come into the house. In peasant homes, even today in, in Palestine, the animals still come into the home. Because at night, you brought the animals in for one or two reasons. So you wouldn't get stolen, and so that you would have heat during the night. They give off heat. And in the floor would have been two little depressions. And those depressions would have held hay or straw. I don't know what you did. I grew up on a farm. Whatever the cows eat. It would have been hay or it would have been straw. One of those two. But it would have been at snout level. So that if the cow or the donkey got, got hungry at night, that all they had to do was put their face up there and eat some, of that, eat some of that hay. And it's there. It's there that Jesus is placed. Why is this so important? Because when the angel comes and says to the shepherds, you will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. They would have known, I'm not going to go and look at a rich person's home. I'm going to go and look for one of our homes. And when they find him, what is it that they find? They find the king, the one that has been promised. But how does he come? He's just like us. He's just like us. And you know, you think about that. In an unlikely place, with an ordinary couple, just, I mean, ordinary couple, they don't come any more ordinary than Joseph and Mary. One of God's greatest events happen. And who does he choose to share the good news with? I mean, we're talking about, now about good news. This is really good news. Who does he choose to share the good news with? I'm glad you asked. In verse 8 it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. You talk about good news, but why to the shepherds? Think about it. Why was this message given to the shepherds? I think one of three reasons. 
And I'll get to the one I think at, at the very end, but I think it could be all three. How does God represent himself in the, in the scriptures? He says in the Psalms, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That's a picture of a shepherd. A shepherd slept with one eye open. David says of, himself, David says of Jesus, the, uh, says of God, The Lord is what? He is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. And shepherds are all in the line of Jesus. David was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. They're all shepherds. God had a place in his heart for shepherds. But I think there's an even bigger reason. Shepherds were some of the most unlikely people to be the ones to receive this news. Why? Shepherds were seen as liars. Shepherds were seen as as low and as dirty. They were not trusted. They were seen as thieves. Even in a court of law, their opinion would not have been accepted because they weren't truthful. And yet God chooses to share the greatest news ever with these guys. Why? And I wonder if the reason isn't because if he would have shared the news with the priests or with other people in the community, would they have shared that message with the shepherds? And I think there's where the crux of it is. God shares the truth with the ones who needed to hear it most. It's good news. And like you hear me say many times, if Jesus Christ is the best thing since sliced bread, then why are we keeping him a secret? You know, this is good news. And God shared the best news with it. So why is it good news? Why is it good news? He says to him, first of all, he says, don't be afraid. He said they were, they were keeping watch over their flock, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were terrified. Yeah, you would be too. It's dark out there. There's, everyone has gone to sleep, and there's maybe a few of you around the camper, and all of a sudden the sky lights up like it's the middle part of the day. And you see an angel, and it's like, don't be terrified. <laughs> really? Really? And yet, isn't this a message that we've been hearing all month long? Every time we open up one of the accounts of Christ, and especially the birth narratives, what comes out? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And here he says, don't be afraid. Why, why should the shepherds not be afraid? Why should we not be afraid? Because some of us, we come in here tonight, and we've been eating Tums by the bottle. There are things that are just eating our lunch. We're not sleeping well at night. You walk through the door. The dog runs away from you. The kids run away from you because nobody wants to be around you. Why? Because there's something going on in your heart, and you're afraid. And God is coming to this world with good news. Good news why? You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid in the midst of what it is that you're walking through. Why? Because God says, I've come for you. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. No matter what it is you may be facing tonight, God has said, I have not abandoned you. I am with you, and I will always be with you. You've had people run out in your, in your life. I've had people stand at the, at the altar and say, I love you with all my heart. I will marry I will, I'll be your husband, I'll be your wife, and they're no longer married. And God said, I'll never do that to you. I will never turn my back on you. I will be with you always. There isn't a storm that you walk through that God is not the one walking with you. I love Tony Evans, (coughs) Pastor Tony Evans was preaching, and he was telling the story of he and his wife traveling on a cruise to Alaska, and all of a sudden the ship started going all over the place, and Tony Evans' wife, uh, she's kind of a take-charge woman. And she gets on the phone and she says, I want to talk to the captain now. And uh, the chief purser says, uh, uh, he's a bit busy right now, ma'am. He said, uh, he's st- steering the ship. He's on the bridge. And she said, well, I have a message for the captain. And he said, okay, what's the message? What is he doing with, about this storm? Okay, I will share that message with you and I will get back to you. An hour later, the phone rings. Chief Purser, Mrs. Evans, I have a message for you from the, from the captain. 
Oh, yeah? What is that? Go to sleep. <laughs> Go to sleep. This ship was built with this storm in mind. And this captain knows how to steer this ship in the midst of the storm. That's why it's good news. This is why it's good news, because no matter what it is you face, God says you don't have to be afraid. So what is it tonight that's eating your lunch? What is it that's causing you to eat tums by the, by the handful? Why is it you can't sleep at night? Can you give that to God and know that he cares? Absolutely. Again, the question is, will you? He said, don't be afraid. That's why it's good news. There's another reason why it's good news. He said, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. That is for all people. God says, come unto me. He doesn't say, come to me when you get your act cleaned up. He says, come to me. He accepts us right where we're at. Now, wait a second. He accepts us right where we're at, but he doesn't want us to stay there. Okay? He takes us right where we're at, warts and all, but he doesn't want you to stay there. He comes to make your life new. But he said, this message is for all people. And it's a message. It's a message of salvation. Why? He said, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you. Why a Savior? Because the greatest thing that they needed, they didn't need a king to overthrow Rome. They didn't need a doctor. What they needed most, more than anything in the world was a Savior. Why? Because of the issue of sin. There was only one who could deal with the sin, and that was Christ. Christ came to pay a debt that he didn't owe because we had a debt that we couldn't pay. And what he gives us, what he gives us in return is grace, if we will receive it. Grace. Grace is getting something that I do not deserve. What does grace look like? Let me tell you a story about that. Becca, you've heard this so many times, you could tell this part by now. I was first in ministry in California. It was sat, Christmas was on a Saturday that year. Monday morning, I get a telephone call. Pastor, can you come by the house? We got a gift for you. So I go over to their house. I, oh, I shut the door, and I'm hearing yelling. And it's like, what on earth is going on? And so as I get up to the door, I knock on the door, and the guy's wife op opens the door, and she's just like, you know, she's thin as a stick, and her eyes are like this. And she, I said to her, Jan, what on earth is going on? I could hear her husband. He was just yelling like a bull. And I, I walked in, and I said, Danny, 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 what is going on here? He was red as a beat. And he, he couldn't even talk. He's like, those kids. I told them. If they looked in the gifts this year, there'd be no Christmas in the house. And he said, and they looked. I set a trap, and it was, it was set, and I know that they looked. See, here's what's going on. They had three kids. Two of them were just little twins. But the 14-year-old, he, he was a bit greasy. And uh, <laughs> the year before, he had looked at all the gifts. And when Danny found out about it, he was livid. He said, next year, he said, or he said, this year, if anybody looks in the gifts, no Christmas in the house. And he set a trap. And the trap was sprung. And that's what he was saying. He said, I told him, I told him if, if they looked in the gifts this year, no Christmas in our house. He said, Jan, take down all the decorations. Everyone in the house is crying. The kids are crying. Jan's crying. And she's taking down all the, and I'm thinking, Ebenezer Scrooge lives. He's, he pulls the, the car. The car is right, or the, there's a door in the kitchen right into the garage. He's got the car backed right up there. And he's taking the, the gifts. He's got the trunk open. Just shoo, 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 right into the trunk. And I'm thinking, he's going to go through with this. Jan, get me all the receipts. He says, I'm taking all these gifts back. He goes, Pastor, you come with me. So I'm thinking, oh, I got I to gotta be with him for this. And he slams the door down on the trunk. And slams the door from the kitchen. And we get out in the garage, and he winks at me, and he says, I'm going to teach those kids a lesson they'll never forget. 
I left and went home. He drove around the block. That was Monday. All week long, they're thinking, there's no Christmas. Saturday morning, they come down for cartoons and cereal. As they come down the stairs, what awaits them? Christmas morning. Did Dad have every right to say there's going to be no Christmas in the house? He had every right. Does God have every, every right to say we don't deserve him? Yeah. He says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But you know, if it stayed there, that would be a horrible verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear that? What is it? It's called, it's called a gift. A gift is something you receive. God gave his greatest gift to us. Why? Because we had a great need. And he came to take care of that great need for us. And it's called good news for a reason. Because it brings us hope. If you have Christ in your life, no matter what you may be facing, and for some of us, we're facing some pretty tough times, aren't we? Stuff with our health, with our marriage, our job. I mean, we got Attila the Hun for a boss, and it's just like, I hate going to my job. For some of us, it's, it's our parents. And just we're struggling with our parents. We're struggling with finances. Struggling with the cold, whatever it might be. But the thing of it is, this world isn't all that there is. You are created for eternity, and we will, all, we will all spend an eternity in one or two places, but that place will be the place of your choosing, not God's. God will give you the opportunity to receive the gift, but it's up to you to receive it. It's your choice. And when you have that gift, it gives you hope that no matter what it is you may face, this world isn't all there is. Because, man, if this world is all there is, that is a pretty sad state of affairs. And here's my, my concern. Because some of us are like, no, I think I'm okay. I think, I think me and God, I think, I think we're okay. I, I, I've been to church, and, and I, I, I know about God. And, you know, I, 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 I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I've been baptized, confirmed. I'm, what else do I need to do? I mean, I gave some money at the church. I'm, I'm okay, right? And the problem is that we don't realize that we're not. I was watching many years ago TV, and they were showing the uh, news report of a skydive team. They jumped out of the plane, and they did, you know, one of these diamond formations, and they went out, and they did another formation. They're doing all these formations. All of a sudden, the camera starts shaking all over the place. The photographer, dude jumps out of the plane without his parachute on. And my concern is that some of us are getting ready to jump into eternity. <clears throat> And we don't know where it is we're going to spend eternity. We're not sure. See, Jesus didn't come so that we could wonder about where we would spend eternity. He says in 1 John chapter 5, I write these things to you believe that you will know that you have everlasting life. Why? Because when you know that you have everlasting life, your life has purpose, it has meaning. And it isn't just all about this world. He came to give us hope. That's why it's good news. But not only that, when we receive Christ... We receive the peace of God as well. We receive two types of peace. First one's the peace of God. The peace with God, excuse me. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. See, there's a problem. Sin demanded two things. It demanded a, a sacrifice. A sacrifice who would not only pay for our sins, who would take the place for our sins, but the one who would take the wrath of God on our behalf. And Jesus is both. And because of that, we have peace with God. 
We have peace with God. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. But not only that, he says we have the peace of God. Jesus says in his word, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. He says, I've overcome the world. He says, you trust in God. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And as well, he says, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. He says, my peace I give to you. That's why it's good news, because no matter what it is we may be facing, we can know that we have the peace of God. We can have the peace of God no matter if the world is falling apart. Because we've chosen to put our hope and our faith not in this world and not what we see, but in the one who said, I'm with you and I won't forsake you. Amen? But you're saying, but pastor, this year it was cancer. This year she didn't say yes. This year I didn't get the job. I got fired. This year my kid got a DUI. This year my husband decided to walk out on me. I, I, I haven't been a lot of good news. But Jesus comes in the midst of all of those things. He doesn't make everything go away by magic. But he says, I'll come and I'll walk with you in the midst of all of it. And you're saying, that sounds way too good to be true. It sounds way too, and you know what they say. If it sounds too good to be true, it, it is. Except this isn't. You know, when we say it's too good to be true, we sound like Glenn and Gloria Sims. In 2001, H&R Block had, a, had, a, um, had an offer for anybody who walked into, walked into H&R Block. They had a drawing, and whoever won the drawing won a million dollars. It was a drawing that was taken on, on, on tax day. I can't remember what it is. April, 14, April 15th, whatever. <clears throat> Glenn and Gloria, it, their name was chosen. But when they got stuff from H&R Block... H&R Block, they, they, they'd call him or they'd write him. He threw it in the wastebasket. He thought, uh, this, this can't be. This is just a scam. And H&R Block would try and call him and say, hey, we want to talk to you about this. And he'd, he'd just hang the phone up. Finally, the president of H&R Block called him and said, don't hang up. He said, this is not a scam. He said, I am the president of H&R Block. And he said, you have won a million dollars, but you need to receive it. You won't get it if you don't receive it. And your time is running out. And he said, if you don't, receive this gift, you don't accept this gift, by this date he said, I'm going on to Good Morning America and we're going to tell America that here was a gift, a million dollars. Somebody had it, all they had to do was come in and claim it, but they chose not to. Well, finally, 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 this got through Glenn's thick skull and he said, I maybe better check this out and they realized it was true. It sounded too good to be true, but it wasn't. And sometimes salvation sounds too good to be true. But it's not. That's why it's good news. That's why it's good news. And it's good news that's for you. Good news that's for me. No matter what it is we may be facing. Tonight, I want to give you an opportunity. Have you ever prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Because my fear is that some of us are getting ready to jump into eternity. And we're not ready. And tonight, God says, I give you the greatest gift, the greatest opportunity, and that is to receive me as your personal Savior. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You say, well, what do I got, what do, I got to do? Three things. Three very simple things. First one you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. Anybody here struggling with that? Think back in your week. God says in his word that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came because we had a problem with sin. 
The second thing we need to do is we need to admit that we need a Savior. As good as we are, as strong as we are, as tough as we are to come out on a night like this, it's not good enough. That's why Jesus came. And the third thing we need to do is we need to receive that gift. I remember when our kids were little, my in-laws lived in, in Thailand, and they would get their gifts a month in advance. And we had this buffet that sat by our, you know, what do you call it, sideboard buffet, something like that, you know, sitting by the side of the dining room table. And it, the gift would come a month early. My, my mother-in-law was very punctual about those kind of things, and it would come with a brown paper bag, you know, kind of wrap around it, and then the gift would be inside of there. And for a month, the kids would sit there and look at that. And finally, the day of their birthday came, and we put that gift on the table in front of them. Never once did they say, oh, no, Daddy, no, no, no. I, I don't need that gift. It's enough to know that Grandma and Grandpa, they love me. No, they, ah, they rip it off, and they did all that kind of stuff, because that's what you do with a gift. And the good news is tonight that God is offering you this gift. But the question is, we don't know we don't know how long. We think, well, maybe tomorrow I'll think about that. We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Tonight, if you hear the Lord's voice, he says, don't harden your heart. Listen to what it is that he says. So I'm going to give you an opportunity for that. But for the rest of us, how are you doing with this fear thing? How's eating those tums going? How's it going not sleeping at night? Jesus has cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares. He cares about you. What is it you need to give to him tonight? Knowing that he cares and that he'll take it. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to the day? He says, if you can't do that simple thing, think about that, adding an hour to the day. He says, that's a simple thing. He said, if you can't do that, then why do you worry? How are you doing with that fear thing? Tonight, is there something that you need to lay at his feet and say, God, it's yours? How about this issue of, uh, of hope? Hope in the, you, you've, you have Christ as your Savior. How are you doing with the hope? Are you still struggling with, with, with where you're going to spend eternity? Listen, if you've prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, you're His. Remember, your, your salvation is not based upon what you've done. It's based upon what He did for you at the cross. Amen? So tonight, there are several gifts. The peace of God. Peace, with, or peace of God, hope of God, but also salvation. And for those of you who would like to pray to receive Christ, and Jim, I'm going to ask when I go to prayer, if you could just turn up the house lights a bit so I can see people's faces. I'm going to ask you to do a very simple thing. I'm going to ask you just to simply look up at me, okay? Because I want to have a word of prayer with you. You're not, you don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to come forward. Just look at me, and I want to have a word of prayer with you, okay? Let's go to prayer. Jim, if you could turn the lights up just a little bit so I can... Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening, and I thank you for the good news of Christ. And I thank you because, God, it's not a coincidence that we're here tonight. You knew this day, and you knew, you know what's going on in our hearts, and you know what we need most. And God, for some of us, we, we're just afraid right now. We're in the midst of situations that are just keeping us awake at night. We're, we're a grouchy bear to live with. And it's all because we're worried. And you're the one that said, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Lord, for some of us, tonight's a night that we need to come to you and to give that which is just consuming us. 
If that's you, just give that to him. Whatever that might be, just give that to him. The second thing for some of us, how how are we doing with this issue of hope? You're a believer. You've prayed to receive Christ. But how are you doing with this issue of hope? Is your hope still in what you can do? Or is your hope vested in what God can do? And maybe tonight's that night that you put your hope. Tonight's the night that you give that issue over and you put your hope in Christ. But the last one is... um, is salvation. And I'm going to ask you to do a simple thing. If you have, would like to, Jim, can you turn the lights up just a bit more so I can see faces? There you go, there you go. If you have never prayed to receive Christ, every head bow, every eyes closed. If you've never prayed to receive Christ as your Savior and you would like to tonight, and if you're looking up at me, that's what, that's what you would like to do. Then I would ask you to just look up at me. I want to have a word of prayer with you. Is that what you'd like to do? Okay, okay. Anybody else? Okay, well, would you pray with me? Just pray in your heart with me quietly. Precious Lord Jesus, tonight I admit to you that I am a sinner. I'm not proud of it. But I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Because, Lord, I I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I admit to you that I need you as my Savior. And tonight I received the gift of salvation from you. I didn't do anything to deserve it. But I received from you the gift of salvation. Lord, give me your joy and your peace. And change me into who it is that you want me to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Monday night, we were out freezing our tails off at the Packer game. And 77,000 people braved 15-degree weather, and they cheered like crazy. It was so good to see them win for a change. But they, they cheered like crazy, but it's nothing compared to what's going on in heaven because God says when one person comes home, he said, all heaven rejoices. So for you who prayed with me, um, afterward, I'll be out by the back door. Just grab me by the arm, and I want to talk with you because when somebody comes to Christ, just, you've heard, you'll hear me say this many times, it's like a baby. When a baby's born, you don't throw it in the crib and say, grow. You, you walk alongside of him. You walk alongside to help him to grow. Okay. Well, now we're going to move to the candlelight part. And if we could have all the house lights down and off. Okay. Now it's too dark for pastor. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me get down one step here. All right. There we go. Okay. Turn them all down now, please. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This is what life is like without Christ. This is what the world would be like. Go ahead, Jim. This is what the world would be like without Christ. He said that a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Can you imagine what this world would be like if, if Christ hadn't come? But he did come. And he came and he brought, he brought light. We say, but that's a pretty paltry light. 
That's just one light. But then Jesus turns around and he says, you are the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. What we've been saying tonight is all good news. And just like I said, if Jesus Christ is the greatest thing since sliced bread, then why do we keep it a secret? Who do you know that needs to hear the truth of what God says about them? Because the world says that they're a failure. The world says they'll never amount to anything. The world says all kinds of things. But God is the one who says, I love you and I love you so much that I would give the greatest gift in the world so that you could have a relationship with me. He says, that's what I say about you. And I love you. And who needs to hear that message tonight? We're with family now. Who is it that you know? Who is it living next to you? Who is it that needs a call to hear that Jesus Christ loves them? I pray that God would give us courage to share this good news with people. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men.